Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of This Is Most Certainly True. Pastor Brian Hockman here with you today, and I'm uh, pleased to inform you that I'm here with uh, my brother in ministry, Pastor Aaron Strong. Hey folks, glad to be here with you today. Aaron, how are you today? Doing well. Awesome, glad to hear it. Thank you. I heard that there's a new member of uh, the appliance family in the Strong household. Yeah, we uh, we are new owners of uh, a brand new refrigerator. Um, you, you don't realize um, the joy and the blessing of, of modern conveniences like appliances <laughs> until they don't work. Uh, you know, woke up last week to, uh, it was getting ready for the day. My wife comes upstairs and says, you need to come and look at the refrigerator. Everything in it is warm. And I thought to myself, well, that's not what refrigerators are supposed to do. They have one job, <laughs> have and one that's job, not it. <laughs> and that's not what you're supposed to do. Um, so, yeah, it died on us last week. Um, but thankfully, we were able to um, go out and find a, a brand new um, appliance. Uh, shout out to Lowe's. They had one. Um, walked in, and actually, um, you know, and, and I heard this joke before. I have to premise this with this joke, or at least this observation, that, that Midwestern people, whenever they, they purchase something, always have to brag about the, the great deal that they, they got on it, right? And I don't know if this is this is totally a Midwestern thing or if it's a conservative Lutheran thing, right? Just to, oh, I got such a, you know, you, you just got something and you got to explain the story and, and share how much you, you saved on it and all this stuff. And, I and look at this, you on a podcast, being a Midwesterner. Right, being a Midwesterner. <laughs> and I wonder if maybe it stems from, you know, like Jesus made uh, a meal out of a couple loaves of bread. So how much <laughs> how much can I get out of something a little? I don't know. I'm trying to wrap my head around this whole idea. But um, no, went to Lowe's and they had this fridge sitting out that was a returned item and uh, was knocked off a few hundred bucks because it had a ding on the door. And I literally looked at this door for like five minutes trying to find the little ding. Um, I found it. It's not a big one. And um, the strong family can deal with a little ding on the door and a brand new fridge. And uh, so, yeah, all hooked up. We have an ice maker to it, which is another wonderful modern convenience that was not in our house until now. And uh, the kids are super excited. My wife is super excited. She has wanted a new fridge since we moved into this house with the old fridge that was already there. So life is good in the strong household again. Awesome. Yeah. Your wife posted that you had a, a cubic foot upgrade as well. Oh yeah, we went from from 18 to 25. Ooh. I nice. know. It's it's like a mansion nice. for for food. And um the the joke was my daughter informed me of this this morning. Her and my wife were laughing about it last night. We had spaghetti and you know, you you put the leftovers in a couple of containers and I they stacked nicely and so I stacked them and put them in the fridge. And my wife laughed at that and said, well, "We have so much room in our fridge. Why didn't? You, why are you stacking stuff? Because <laughs> they stack. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but it does look a little bare because we we had par- pared down our our food last week because of the refrigerator issue, and now we have this huge fridge. So it will be filled again, I'm sure. Yes, we also upgraded uh, when we moved into our new home the size uh, of our refrigerator. But the cubic footage of available space is about the same. Yeah. Uh, somehow, refrigerators just fill up. It's like a vertical surface. It's always going to fill up. A refrigerator is always going to fill up, right? Yeah. And I, d- <laughs> I don't know if you realize just how many condiments and, and salad dressing bottles you have until you have to empty out a fridge. <laughs> you're like, right. Wow. We have a lot of, of condiments. We, we apparently have um, a lot of mustard in our house. Um, which I didn't Do you have realize. Different options, different um, mustard options. Yeah, we have two different brands of regular yellow mustard in our refrigerator. <laughs> you got the Roundies brand and the uh, right, like Heinz. I don't even know what the other one would be um, <laughs> off the top of my head. But then we also have stone ground mustard and then spicy brown mustard. I mean, okay. You do. I do agree. You have to have some different mustards for various occasions. But we we have a, a lot in our fridge right now. You have any honey mustard? We do have honey mustard as well. Now that I think about it, yeah, that's floating around in there too. So, yeah, we're a mustard-loving family apparently. When I was in college, I remember, maybe you heard this uh, because you were a year behind me in college. Um, Jeff Schoen was was talking about how blessed we are, and he used the refrigerator as an example, and he said that he had four different varieties of Diet Coke in his refrigerator (laughs) at home. Goodness. (laughs) (laughs) But isn't that true? Uh, not just having a refrigerator, but being able to fill it and have it overflowing or uh, a pantry that stuff falls off the shelf because you've got so much. What a right. what an awesome problem to have, right? Uh, the Lord has blessed us, and for that I'm thankful. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The power would go out in Alaska sometimes, and uh, 
when it was long enough, we would end up having to scramble with what to do with the freezer. But we, you just throw we could it use the deck as the, <laughs> as the auxiliary freezer. So that was always that was always helpful. There you go. Just bring in some ice blocks so. from outside or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> just usually just leave it sit in the snowbank or go. just outside. The temperature was for most of the winter was below 37 degrees, which is what your your fridge would be or the freezer right. um, would be cold enough. So perfect. Every once in a while, we'd find uh, in the spring, we'd realize we use the back porch instead of the front porch, and we'd find something's kind of <laughs> nasty back there because uh, we let it warm up. And yeah. whoops. Whoops. But, That's it. Right. So we're glad that you're here. Glad that you're uh, tuning in again. I hope that you're hearing me more loudly and more clearly than the last time. I've got my list of uh, notes, things I want to talk about here. And Pastor Sean, can you read the uh, top one there? The, the one that's in big, bold letters with highlighter. It says, uh, plug in USB. Yes, and uh, I hope that I've done that correctly. So we will find that out. Uh, I'm waiting with bated breath. We'll find that out in a half an hour, uh, whether I did that right. I think I did. Good. So uh, we hope that you're enjoying uh, this opportunity to read through Grace Abounds, The Splendor of Christian Doctrine. Um, a book that we've uh, set up a reading plan for, uh, and we're going to be podcasting on each of the individual weeks for your readings. Also leading uh, Bible class on Sunday mornings on each of those chapters, the chapters that you have completed. So we hope that you can join us. Uh, clearly, you're already joining us for the podcast if you're hearing this, but Sunday morning Bible class at 9 and 1030 here at Grace Lutheran Church, downtown Milwaukee. Um, whether you're a member or just listening nearby and want to poke in, we'd love to have you there for worship. Um, we also have a Facebook discussion group. We, we use the, the group that we used last year when we did the Bible reading challenge. So the, the name of the Facebook group is Grace Bible Reading Discussion Group. You can find us there and join in and uh, have some discussions there. I heard that there's already a meme of a guy that looks somewhat like a younger version of me. So if you haven't done that, there's uh, there's your little teaser and, and your carrot to go check out the Facebook discussion group. Very nice. I think it's important to keep in mind, too, that um, while all these things are based off of this book, um, you don't necessarily have to read the book. Um, you can still come and enjoy the Bible studies on Sunday mornings. You can still enjoy the podcasts. Um, obviously, you're going to get a whole lot more if you're reading along with us. Um, but don't think, oh, I didn't buy the book, or I, I'm not going to keep up with the readings necessarily, so I, I might as well not go to Bible study, or I better quit listening to this podcast. We'd all be really sad if you quit listening to the podcast or didn't come to Bible study on Sunday morning. Please do. You're, you're going to learn a ton. For sure. Join in any and every way that you can. Also, if you have some questions, we want you to share those questions. We know on a podcast you can't raise your hand and, and get it answered, but shoot us an email, shoot me a text. Um, I'd love to, to be able to answer those questions. I think you can reply on the, the actual most certainly true uh, you can just comment on the Facebook post, and uh, we'll get some of those questions answered, um, hopefully during a, a future podcast episode. So don't be shy. Jump in on that discussion group. Jump in asking your questions. Uh, we'll all grow and learn from it. Pastor Strong, you want to talk about the Bible? Let's talk about the Bible. <laughs> Seems like a good book and place to start. W would you believe that I was a little intimidated to find out the topic of the podcast today was the Bible? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a big book. Um, a lot has been said about it. There, there are a lot of pages to it, but that's uh, no, really a, a really great place to, to begin um, diving in here to just really grasp the Bible. Um, while it's, you know, it's it's one of the probably the the most um the best selling book ever right and uh most translated book ever um probably one of the most most read books ever um even even if it's not as read today as it it could be it could be read more it could be read more read your bibles um but at the same time it's probably one of the books that has been most attacked and most criticized and most questioned um throughout history too so it's good for us to i think have a good grasp of what is the Bible? Why should I read it? Why should I have uh, confidence in it and trust in it and, and all that good stuff? And that's what we uh, we have in front of us today. Yeah, we're going to talk about Christian doctrine throughout this whole book. Um, 
we need to know where that doctrine comes from. And so God's word is his message to us, his message to share with us who he is and uh, how he loves us and how he wants us to live. Um, Clearly, the central message in scripture is his plan of salvation foretold in the Old Testament, uh, promised through messianic prophecy and then fulfilled in the person, work, life and death of, of Jesus Christ. I think it's interesting, um, just the terms that we use for this book. The Bible is a word that means book. Um, I think maybe the generation behind mine that's just a little bit older than me would talk about the good book. Sure. Um, You didn't have to wonder which good book are you talking about. It's the good book. Um, I think that speaks to what you were saying before about it's how it's been spread and... um, its popularity, to use that term, I suppose, um, that you could just talk about the book. Um, Nothing that any human being has ever written uh, could you refer to as the book, and and people would widely know what you're talking about, but with God as the author, God's book, you can call just the book. Right. Uh, The scriptures is that way too, right? Scriptures means the writings. Um, Which writings? Well, you know the writings that are important, <laughs> the, right. the writings that are worth uh, writing and reading um, and believing. That's what we have here before us. Although, I, I've, and as it points out in here, and I've, I've kind of noticed in, in our modern culture today too, that when you just say it, the scriptures, um, a person, one, may not know what you're necessarily talking about because there are other scriptures out there, right? Um, scriptures from um, the Mormon have their own scriptures, the Hindu have their own scriptures, and, and so on. Um, so we we can use it, and we often do use it, but Bible just, I think, focuses in on this particular book, right? God's Word, that sets it apart from other things, that other writings that, that people might use, too. That's an interesting thought. Do you know, Pastor Strong, do you know, do the other, do other religions just refer to their writings as the Scriptures? Would a Mormon say the Scripture? And everyone would know they're referring to the Book of Mormon, or even within that context, would that be a? I don't know. That's a that's a good question. I, I know they definitely have writings, and right. I, and I've heard them referred to it as that way. Their sacred book, their or sacred their book sacred book scriptures, sacred sure. But scriptures is is you know synonymous with writings, so um, I think it's good to have some clarity. Yeah, definitely. All right. Um, Next, then he talks about a, a word called the canon. Um, this was one of those that I always had to make sure to explain um, to any new members, especially my youth confirmants, because it asks them to confess their belief in the canonical books of the Bible uh, in the confirmation rite. And I always felt, I'm kind of old-fashioned, I always felt like they should know what I'm talking about before they pledge an oath yeah, before definitely. God to to uh, believe or not believe something. Right. Um, so maybe... a. a I suppose I could have taught him beforehand instead of uh, waiting till that moment. But <laughs> uh, the word canon is a word that means rule, and it's used to refer to uh, the entirety of, of the Bible, um, that which gives us rules and norms for Christian living. Um, the canani- canonical books, tongue twister a little bit, uh, referring to the 66 books that uh, you have in your Bible at home the canon is is something that has been under attack for a long time and you referenced that before that it seems like even more and more recently that people are 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 trying to take the legs out from under the canon or make some claims you can watch the history channel um, and it'll talk about new books that are found and how Christians uh, tried to quiet these books because it was to keep their secrets. That the History Channel is not a sponsor of most certainly true podcasts, so I can speak freely about <laughs> my feelings about the History Channel, which I normally love, by the way. But um, it's easy to portray the church as randomly or for their own biases or purposes establishing the canon and then um, keeping everything else hush hush or, or denigrating the other books so that they can come out with the doctrine that they want. 
but I think uh, Professor Deutschlander has uh, he, he brings it up a couple times that I think is really worth noting and highlighting um, that the canon establishes the church, not the church establishing the canon. Right. God's word is that which forms the church and, and develops it for us. The Holy Spirit calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies. Um, so to, to have the mindset that the church is just this gathering of people and then they decided what their Bible would be um, is not accurate. That's backwards. Right, and, and he gave some really cool evidences of, of this happening um, throughout um, this chapter. And he, he just talks about some of the ways in which um, the early Christian church was just built around these these writings. Um, they they not they did not choose that. Yeah, these are the ones we're going to follow and we're going to throw out the other ones. They just they these were what, what these books were, were handed down to them in the Old Testament, especially. Um, and at Jesus' time and in his ministry, he referred to them. He he spoke about how Moses said this and um, go back to Abraham, go back to Jonah, go back to whoever, right? And and so th- he's he's giving affirmation to these are this is God's holy word, and then and then just the fact that the letters in of Paul, the Gospels of the the apostles, started going out and being shared with one another showed that this too was this was God's word, and this is what built the church. This is what they gathered around. It wasn't just a group of people that said, hey, we're going to follow Jesus, and why don't you give us some writings, and, and we'll dictate which ones are, are good or not. No, I mean, they, they just naturally formed around these. Um, one, because of the truthfulness and authority that were in there, but two, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, too, working in their hearts through these words, uh, which we'll get into in a moment here, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, Jesus clearly makes references and, and defends God's authorship of Scripture and the Old Testament's uh, authority. I find it really interesting when he uses the categories that the Old Testament uses too. When he talks about the law and the prophets, or the law and the writings and the prophets, the very like subheadings of the sections of the Old Testament, um, Jesus there is subtly, or you probably would say not so subtly, identifying this whole book. All of these books are, are that which speak about me. All of these books are those that really I'm the author of. God's the author of. Um, so yeah specific references to specific writers and books, but also some of the all-encompassing um, headings and titles that, that our Savior uses. Right. Well, and just the message of Scripture, too. Right? The, me- the central message of Scripture is so united and just so tied together from Genesis to Revelation. And just to imagine that, that this was written over thousands of years by multiple different writers at multiple different times and places and yet they tie together so beautifully it has always amazed me uh, when we start to look at that and then um, to really get into how these you know we don't have the original I think it's called an autograph right right we don't have the original book of Genesis we don't have the original letter that Apostle Paul wrote to to Corinth but what we have are a lot of copies because copies were made and we start comparing these copies and the places they came from the ages of these copies and the multitudes of these copies we, we see that there's nothing wrong with with what we have we can be assured that this is really what the original said even though we don't have the original copy of any of these books um, and that's just pretty amazing and when you start holding up standards of of how we're going to authentic- authenticate these books and these letters um, we hold those same standards up to the Bible and then hold those standards up to other ancient writings like uh, Homer's Odyssey or something like that. Um, the Bible flies by above and beyond by passing all these standards, even though someone might nitpick and say, well, well look, here's this. Well, if you hold those stand- standards as something else, the Bible blows those all those ancient writings away by just the amount of copies, the amount of of, of errors or the few errors that there are among these copies and, and uh, the age of these and so on. Um, so it's just amazing to me that we have both internally and externally these cool proofs of what scripture really is and the confidence we can have that, yeah, this is, this is truth. Yeah. Deutschlander calls it the variata. Yeah. Um, so the variances, sometimes we would call that textual criticism. That's, I guess, the study of which variances go, go where. And very clearly says no doctrine is impacted by this. Ninety nine percent of the Bible is one hundred is 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 agreed upon across the board, uh, but you've got some smell, spelling mistakes. Um, is it Simeon or Simon? Is it right. the the city name? Um, also understanding how 
um, the Bible is written before copy machines were invented is <laughs> is uh, kind of instrumental in understanding this. You'd have one copy that was put at the front of a classroom, and then they would read, and you'd have scribes that would write down what they heard. And then eventually those copies would be in the front of a classroom, and there'd be other scribes. And so if one person somewhere in that chain mishears or um, writes the, the wrong word down, then that's going to go to the, the front of a different classroom, and that's going to get widespread. So sometimes as you're studying the, the textual variants, um, you find out that there's a variant that has 200 or 500 manuscripts that all have this same error. But as you study, they all come from, they all come from Alexandria. They all come from the same central location and the five other or the four other um, main places where translations happened um, or the, the translation centers all agree with one another. Well, then, you know, there must have been a this mistake must have made it into this family of manuscripts somehow. And most likely the four other ones are the ones that are accurate. Right. Um, so textual criticism could be a topic of, uh, of an individual podcast because oh, yeah. uh, it's it's pretty interesting and gets into some uh, into some depth that maybe not all of our listeners are necessarily that interested in. But I always found at the end of the day a study of textual criticism and how all of that worked just builds up the confidence in what we have. Some people hear variations in scripture and, oh, we don't know, and uh, might might think that this would erode the confidence that we can have, but really it builds it up. As you see the thousands of years that these documents have been transmitted and the incredible accuracy that they have and even the ability to explain why there's this mistake or why there's that um, spelling error or, or how those all go into the one one place and we can have confidence in knowing that's the mistake and this is the accurate. Um, sometimes you have scribes that that seems difficult and so I'm going to make it a little simpler. And so the, one of the principles was always the more difficult reading is probably the accurate one. Um, right. sometimes there were passages that were similar and a scribe would finish the quote from a different part in the Bible because they knew the quote from there, either subconsciously or intentionally. We'll just fill this out a little bit. And um, so that I always found that as we studied those a little bit at seminary, that this is easily explained. And um, the ones where you don't know what's the actual spelling of the city name, those don't even matter. Right. Um, no doctrine is impacted. Um, there's no. There's not a different church. We don't have Presbyterians today because um, they fall on a different side of a question about a doctrinal variance. Um, God's word is is widely accepted, and the English, the faithful English translations that we have are faithful translations of God's word, faithful transmissions of Greek and Hebrew um, that the originals were in. But that is one of the reasons that we, uh, as clergy in our Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod, um, come out of a ministerial education system that values highly the original languages. To right. be able to read in Greek and Hebrew and understand textual criticism and understand um, what the original languages say, so that when we stand in the pulpit, we can say, "This is what King J not this is what King James says," but. This is what the Lord says. Right. Yeah, we killed ourselves for a few years in, in college trying to learn Greek and Hebrew. Um, some of us probably better than others, um, but it's it's important no matter what your skill level is with the Hebrew or Greek, um, you know, to be able to go into those original languages and at least compare, at least know where to go. And, and because just like a, when you translate anything from one language to another, it doesn't always communicate as clearly because we don't always have the same words and phrases and idiom, idioms and that kind of stuff um, that, that communicates. So to be able to go back into the original languages and say, yeah, this is what God really meant, and, and let's, let's explain this a little bit, is um, really a blessing that we have in our church body. Yeah. Before we leave the canon, yeah. um, Deutsch Leonard has a statement in there where he says, in the past it used to be, that you'd kill the messenger. If you didn't like what it said, you'd kill the messenger. Um, now, more that happens some places in the world, but more frequently, and especially in our culture, is you kill the message. Um, you attack the canon, you you determine or you declare it 
to be old-fashioned or out of touch or written by men and not by God. Right. Um, that's the way that you um, can discredit the Bible's message by by actually eroding uh, eroding the canon, which that resonated with me because I'm a professional messenger of God's word, and I'm glad that they don't kill the messengers <laughs> in this country anymore because okay. I'd be in that line. Um, but also it, it resonated because that is exactly what you see happening in our culture, right? Um, we're we're, we're going to throw away what God's word says. We're going to excuse away the parts that we don't want, and sadly happens even within the Christian church. Um, that seems like an old-fashioned doctrine, or that doctrine might be hard for, for us to hold to and still grow, and so we're going to choose growth instead of faithfully adhering to the entirety of God's word. Right. Um, so we'll just we'll tinker with the message or, or throw it away completely. That's, that's what, uh, the devil's temptations have been geared towards in our corner of the world. And in, in our cultures, um, you won't, you won't see widespread persecution of, of pastors in our country. At least I hope not anytime soon. Right. Uh, but it's really the, the scriptures that are being persecuted. Right. right? That's tied in with the postmodern culture that we live in where anyone's truth can be, your truth. I don't have to accept your truth, right? But I'll, I'll maybe respect you as a person, even though that's sometimes, um, you know, it's different. I mean, it's not like outright persecution. I'm going to kill you because I don't disagree with you. Um, but I'm probably going to disagree with you and, and maybe even speak harshly about that. And I mean, we just see this in politics. I mean, how ridiculous. Maybe is I'll politics? just rip up the things that you right. have to say. <laughs> right. That, it, what a, what a ridiculous, uh, you know, thing we live in. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's much easier just to ignore or to, um, to speak against the messenger rather than attacking or the message rather than attacking the messenger. Um, I think that's what we see in our culture today. Right. Which at the end then is you're, you're rejecting who, the one who wrote the message, which I think is probably our next topic, huh? Yeah. Who wrote the Bible? Um, we get into this topic of inspiration, biblical inspiration. And I think it's important to recognize when we're talking about the Bible being inspired is that we're using um, that term inspiration in a, what, what would you say, more li- more literal way. Right now I can go look at a sunset and be inspired uh, according to the way the English language uses the word. I can be inspired to write a poem, right? right? Loosely based on, and I think if we take that understanding of inspiration we don't get to the right place that's not what that word is trying to say that these disciples witnessed jesus and then they were inspired to write a feel-good story about him no we're actually literally uh talking about inspire to breathe into so look at a word like a respirator to uses that spire um root of the word to mean breathe, and then in is in, so to breathe into. Inspiration, verbal inspiration, means that God breathed into the writers the words that he was wanted uh, to see written on that page. Yeah, It was a miraculous thing, though, too. I mean, we don't know exactly what that was like, right? Did God work into their minds? Did he... Did he call him up on the phone and say, this is the words I want you to dictate? No, he probably didn't call him up on the phone. But, um, you know, what What exactly was that? You know, was it this, this they knew and they, they recognized God working through him or how it all worked? We don't we don't know, but what we do know is what God says. Yeah. And that he breathed into, he spoke into these, these writers the very words he wanted them to record for us to know. Is it a Rembrandt painting that has... Matthew and he's got a dove sitting on his shoulder. He's at his desk with a candlelight and okay. his inkwell, and there's a dove. It might not be Rembrandt, but that's the picture. Yeah, I always thought that was cool that the spirit was there guiding his thoughts, guiding his words. Um, and you 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 mentioned miraculous, and we talked even right right before at the start that we've got all these authors, thirty six or plus different authors of God's word. Yet they all, none of them contradict one another. None of them um, go off topic or or change the focus. Uh, but they all have this cohesive unit, 1,600 years worth of scripture writing. Um, and they all have a central theme in, in pointing and focusing on Jesus. And the only explanation for that is that there actually is one author and not 36, right? right. There's, there's one author, God, who inspired it all. Oh, well, and it's amazing, too, because God 
why did he inspire you know these writers? Why did he give us his word? Because God wanted us to know him. And God wanted us to, to know who he is, who created this world that we live in, who has purpose for us, who has life for us. And he wanted us to, to know him. And so what did he do? He decided to communicate with us in a way that really, um, you know, the written word is something that has just lasted. I mean, that's every culture has some kind of, of, of language, whether it's written word or spoken word, whatever it is. But that's what God used the language. God used the word um, to communicate to us what he wants us to know about who he is and, and what that means for us and how we can have a relationship with him or how that relationship was destroyed and how it's been restored in, in Christ. So, I mean, this is amazing that, that God would want to speak to us. It shows us a little bit of uh, um, who God is, too, and the fact that he chose to, to speak to us and to give us his word through, through words. Yeah, and it's more than just, he could have just said, I sent Jesus to be your savior, you're welcome, and that could have been our Bible, right? Um, and we'd go to heaven because of it, because of believing in it. But he writes uh, instead to guide us through life, to he makes promises and then fulfills those promises. He answers the questions that we have. That's kind of going back to chapter one. Uh, why are we here? Uh, how did we get here? Who is God? He answers those questions for us uh, in a way that's living and active and applicable um, it's not a dusty history book, but God's word is living and active, right? Um, sharper than any two-edged sword. So, yeah, you can't have a relationship without communication, right? And so God communicates to yeah. us through through the word. I, I love the um, how Christ and the revealed word are inseparable. You you got even him Christ as the logos, like uh, the gospel writer John teaches us in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. You've got this message uh, of God's love. How, how are the two ways that we learn about what God feels about us? It's through the Bible and it's through the word. It's through Jesus who comes right. and personifies that word and personifies God's love um, as he lives and dies and lives again for us. Yeah, You know, the more you read scripture and, and look at it too, you realize that how could People have just come up with this. I mean, we, people are creative. I mean, we we are coming up with stories and, um, you know, f- understanding this world and creating things in this world that that just astound me. You know, technologies and whatever else. But to to create this story of scripture is just mind boggling. I don't know that anybody would have really done this. I mean, just the the way it's written, the things that are recorded, just they aren't things that we naturally a person would naturally have done and and written and recorded. But so it shows that that while God used people, this this was not just this was not man created. This was not man's ideas or man's interpretation or man's um, witness as much as this is God speaking through them, and and that's pretty powerful, I think, because when you when we if we're gonna come down and and on this truth that the Bible is inspired by God, meaning this is God's word to us, I think that really changes or affects the perspective of how we approach the Bible. Uh, in a lot of different ways, especially in our, our world, because the Bible says some pretty pointed things about who we are, um, how we relate to God, how we relate to other people, how we're supposed to live in this world. And and I, it doesn't take much for us to realize a lot of society and world doesn't necessarily like or is in tune with what the Bible says. Um, and, and we want to pick and choose what we're going to accept, what we're going to believe. But when we, if, if we're really going to fall on this truth, right, that that the Bible is inspired by God. This is God's holy word um, for us, spoken by him. That changes the perception we have to have. We have to all of a sudden put God's word up on this pedestal and say, I'm not going to change it. I'm, I'm not going to pick and choose what I want because this is all God's word for me, all that he wants me to live. I may not understand all of it. I may gra- try to grasp it more and more each day. Um, I may wrestle with it till the day I die, but I have to accept this is God's word that he's given it to me. Um, and that changes how I'm going to, to live in this world. Even though the society might say one thing, I'm going to live this way because I love God and I trust that this is his word. I'm going to live differently. And I think that's what part of what it means to be God's holy people to live separate from this world is to accept God's word as truth first and foremost, and then start applying it in our life. But that's a whole different perspective. If I, if I don't believe the Bible's inspired by God. Right. Yeah. I'm going to submit to its authority because I know that, it has a divine author. I know that God who it doesn't change and 
cannot lie has given this as a as a great measure of love has given me uh, his word to guide my life and to answer my questions and to give me meaning and purpose and to make me wise for salvation um, to tell me that I don't have to work towards my own salvation because Jesus did the work in my place right there's not an option to to dispense with with parts of it it's not an option to say well this part doesn't please me um, was it Thomas Jefferson had the Bible where he he was a deist and didn't accept the fact that anything miraculous or anything that you couldn't explain could possibly happen and so he literally cut passages out of his Bible um, they're just I don't know if he also then in turn had to reject whatever was on the backside of that page also. <laughs> but that's, I mean, that was the measure that he went to. Uh, well, I'm going to cut the miracles out because that can't possibly be true. That's got to be man-made or embellished or whatever. Um, I'm just going to believe the parts that I want to believe. So really that's not submitting to God's authority and God's word, but that's putting myself above and saying I'm the one who gets to decide, Right. Right. Um, and you see that in the world and even in churches today, my emotions help me to determine what God's word is, or my traditions are just as on par as, as scripture is, or human reason. Um, if I can explain it and if it makes good sense and logic to me, then I'll accept it. But if it doesn't, then I get to add an interpretation or I get to dispense with these. But no, God's word is truth. Um, I've always found it kind of sadly ironic um, when people talk about, no, I'm a Bible-believing person, but, and then fill in the blank. Right. I always want to add to them. You also are, you're not only rejecting that, but you're also rejecting the part where Jesus says that the whole Bible is the Bible and it's truth um, and it's it's sufficient, which is what we're, we're going to get to next time. Um, but Jesus makes these claims that God's word is what we have. Uh, at the end of the book of Revelation, the curse is pronounced on those who add or subtract, not just to the book of Revelation, but then um, also to, to the entire book right. of, of the Bible. Um, you've got to reject what Jesus says about the Bible if you're going to cut and paste or, or pick and choose, if you're going to smorgasbord God's word. Um, you're cutting out Jesus and his clear, his instructions uh, to to the disciples, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, not teach them to obey the things that you like or that are easy or that you think might help grow the church. But here's Jesus giving his instructions. Um, and what great confidence that can give us. I mean, that's not like a yoke. That's that's freeing. That I don't have to understand it. It doesn't depend on me. I don't have to even like it. I just It's there. And this is what God's word says. And now we have this opportunity and this privilege really to to preach this truth and to share this message with, with the dying world. Right. And the, the big challenge that, that comes up in this discussion is, um, you know, when we, we start picking and choosing what we want to believe or accept or reject or, or whatever else, um, all of a sudden you've, you've made religion or a relationship with God man-centered because I'm, I'm letting mind influence dictate what's truth and what's not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's the complete opposite of what God gave us his word for, to be a God-centered, a theo uh, centric uh, religion, a theocentric writing that we can be centered on on God, but we are so tempted to let our human influence because that's the the human nature is to say, well, I don't like that, so my God, right? And, and I've heard people say this: my God wouldn't allow this bad thing to happen in whatever person's life or whatever place in the world, right? Well, what you just did is create an idol, right? Because you're picking and choosing what you want your God to do, and maybe not necessarily in line with who God actually is. And we do the same thing with the Bible. Um, different religions, different Christian churches even, pick and choose. And now all of a sudden, yes, under the umbrella of Christianity, but are you becoming more man-centered or are you leaning towards being God-centered? Um, we want to strive to be God-centered all the time. Right. You've probably heard this story. I use it in, in instructions to talk about how you got to keep God's word. Otherwise, man is the judge, and then who knows what gets cut out. Yeah. Um, there was a pastor who was a guest preacher on Easter Sunday in an ELCA church. Uh, and he started his Easter Sunday sermon by saying, I need to start with an apology. I'm going to be preaching this sermon based on the assumption that Jesus actually rose from the dead. 
I know that not everyone in this room has that belief or understanding, but I do, and I'm going to preach from that perspective. Could you imagine having to get into the pulpit and say, just a disclaimer, I believe Jesus rose from the dead. Right. Um, and so hopefully you're with me, but if you're not, there's just the explanation why. Um, but yeah, ultimately, who's to say that the resurrection isn't uh, one of those doctrines that I can just dispense with? Um, Paul says something about how important the resurrection is, right? right? If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. Um, clearly, that's a central, fundamental doctrine. Um, but if I'm the judge of which is which, then then or which is important and which is just fluff, then I end up in a bad place and a place where I lose my confidence. Right. The fact that God wrote them all and and all doctrine is important and all scriptures God breathed gives me the confidence to know um, that God's word is eternal and His promises are sure. And he's not going to change his mind or he's not going to just pull um, some promise that I was st- staking my hope in. He's not going to just yank it out because he can't. Right. That's not our God. Uh, this discussion that we've been having for the last few minutes here has actually been circling around this last at- topic in the in the Bible reading for this week, which is fundamental and non-fundamental doctrines, right? When, when we understand that the Bible is inspired by God, it is God's holy word, his his revelation of who he is and and what that is for us. Um, Then we start looking at it, and and what we find is that there are some doctrines that aren't necessarily more important but are more central to our our life with God um, than others. And I think that's key. Right. Some people, when they hear non-fundamental, hear throwaway or I don't need it or uh, whatever. But it it really is just talking, is this a truth that... um, supports the key doctrine the fundamental the key salvation doctrine or not right and i think deutschlander did a, a nice job of, of kind of of explaining um actually does a really nice job of explaining what a fundamental doctrine is what a, a non-fundamental is and and really we need both right? and we're going to accept both as as truth but here are the central ones and i think when he explains fundamental doctrines there's really three things that that a fundamental doctrine addresses uh, fundamental ad- uh, doctrine addresses, um, first of all, brings glory and praise to God. Um, secondly, it, it's central to our salvation. It's a doctrine we need uh, to understand um, and trust in for, for life with God. And thirdly, it's a, a doctrine that shows, um, and if I get it wrong, correct me, but I think uh, um, obedience in, in our life to God. So what does is, what is life as God's child look like in this world? Um, those are fundamental doctrines because they affect our relationship with God. But then you have non-fundamentals, and there's a whole bunch of examples in here um, that, that talk about things like maybe a non-fundamental doctrine would be like Moses wrote the, the book of, of Exodus. M- maybe you wrestle with that, right? That's not going to make or break your salvation. But a fundamental doctrine would be Christ died on the cross as a substitute for your sins. That's a fundamental one. I mean, you need to, to have a firm grasp on that teaching of Scripture um, in order to have a relationship with God because it hinges on that. Um, and so to understand that there are some that we're going to be more challenged with, but there are some that are just so clear and so important that we cannot, we cannot deviate from them um, because that's the foundation of our life with God. And I think that's his, his, his discussion about these non-fundamental and fundamental doctrines of, of Scripture. Yeah. You were clear, but I'm going to say it again. Do it. We want you to believe the non-fundamental doctrines also. Absolutely. Um, because as soon as you start eroding um, belief in doctrines, even if they, they don't instantly cost you your faith, um, because of the connection that we have with Christ and his promises to God's holy word, and because we have a Savior who says these are all true, rejecting even a non-fundamental doctrine does make Jesus a liar, at least in your mind. Um, And I don't think that's a place that anyone really wants to be. Um, Jesus certainly doesn't want you to be there. So so we want you, please, please to believe both um, and just understand that this is a just a way to to categorize doctrines. Um, Right, because when you start rejecting non-fundamentals, then you really bring into question and you start to chip holes into... The fundamental doctrines too, and and that's why I've always wrestled with this idea. If, if which comes back to the beginning, if if I reject the verbal inspiration of the Bible, that this is God's true word, 
then I really have to, then I'm calling God a liar. And, and then I'm starting to pick and choose. And why are you picking and choosing whatever it is that you're picking and choosing? I mean, eventually you have to start saying, well, if I don't believe this aspect of the Bible is true, then why am I going to accept that Jesus dying on the cross is true for me? Right. And that's a central, you know, point of faith for us um, in our relationship with God. But when I start questioning, then then the whole thing is just a, a muddy mess. Right. You've heard people say, well, Jesus never said anything about homosexuality or Jesus never brought up this topic. Really, that line of argument is a, a woefully short, a, a woefully shameful understanding of inspiration. Because right. actually, Jesus did say something about that. It's the um, in the Old Testament, right? right. Or it's in First uh, uh, Corinthians. Jesus said plenty. Um, so, not failing to understand that Jesus wrote the whole book, or somehow claiming that the words that Jesus said are the really important ones. And then Paul just kind of made up, you know, the roles of men and women. It was just Paul who was a bigot. And so he had some strong opinions that no one else shared. And I don't have to have those. Well, no, God wrote those letters that Paul wrote to Timothy and Titus. Um, and the, those passages where we have some of those doctrines. Um, so really it does come down to, and if you're going to throw away verbal inspiration and you're going to just say even if you can dream up a scenario where i think that these 36 plus individuals actually just wrote on their own but they wrote good stuff and i'm going to believe it um even if you get there you still are putting yourself i don't know that that scenario exists by the way but even if you get there um i think you're still putting yourself as but i get to decide and when god isn't in the picture now I'm the judge of what's right and what's wrong. And I can easily dispense with the things that I don't care for. And so that, I think you said it well too, it threatens fundamental doctrines and the non-fundamental ones when you, when you take God out of the inspiration equation. Right. You just dove into some of our pre podcast discussions as we were kind of discussing what we're going to talk about, even discussing the discussion. Um, this, this That's idea. what we do here at, at Grace <laughs> in the office. We debate things like, is verbal inspiration a fundamental doctrine of Scripture? Right, or a non-fundamental. It's and super cool. You guys should come and hang out with us. <laughs> <laughs> we have a black. We are so, we are so fun. Uh, we would not bore you to death at all. Um, no, and, and I, I, I don't know that we came down for sure one end or the other, but I think it's, it's leaning more towards a fundamental doctrine than a non-fundamental. But maybe this should be a poll on our, our, great, our Facebook page or something. Do you, <laughs> do you think verbal inspiration is a fundamental or non-fundamental? And then someone like Professor Deutschlander can come in and, and chime in and, and give us the actual, this is what it is. And he can pull the plug on our whole <laughs> podcast because we don't understand him at all. Right. No, the, the discussion came out because he calls verbal inspiration an article of faith later on in the chapter, right. which it is. Um, I have to have faith in my heart to believe what God's word says and to believe that God's word is God's word. Right. Um, so he brings it up in a different context. But I think if we rolled it in, he doesn't specifically go one way or another, which is why we had a healthy debate. We did. Um, but I would say because inspiration is the source, I mean, this is the doctrine of the Bible. What is it and how did it get here? Right. Um, so we're almost even like in the preface to doctrine is the Bible. And if we don't have the Bible for what it is and who wrote it and why it's authoritative, then anything that you find within it is kind of going to be a moot point. Yes. So I'm going to say fundamental. All right. And I would lean that way too, definitely. Um, and you just touched on, on the question that I wanted to ask you, uh, kind of probably to get close to wrapping this up, because th- th- this is the question. We seem pretty confident. Um, you and I, that the Bible is God's inspired word. I would be very confident. Right, that, exactly. We're you know, and it's not just a pastoral bias, right? Because our our jobs and careers. I get a paycheck, because right? I can say are that. based on this. <laughs> no, uh, but so so why is that though? How can you and I be so confident? How can any Christian be so confident that the Bible is God's inspired word? Uh, and maybe at the same time, how can someone who is is questioning um, the inspiration of the Bible, how can a person, because I think the answer is probably the same uh, for both, how can a person either be confident that it's, it's God's inspired word or a person who's wrestling with that 
that doubt or questioning that, how can they become confident in knowing that this is God's inspired word? Because there are definitely people, whether you're listening or, or a friend that you have, um, who, who question whether the Bible is really God's word. So what's the answer? Yeah. Um, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ, right? Right. I used to put that passage on true and false questions for my catechism students. <laughs> and then I would tell them, you better say true because this is a passage from God's word. This right. is a Bible passage, actually one that you had to memorize for today. So, uh, But that's really the answer, right? Yeah. Faith comes from hearing the message. So um, if I don't have that faith to understand that God's word is God's word, but I want it, how do I get it? I need to hear the message. I need to be in the word. I need to... Um, see how God works on my heart. And ultimately, yeah. it's that gift that he gives through the means of grace. Uh, yeah. The ability to have the eyes that can see and the ears that can hear um, the message that he wants to portray. Yeah. Um, the, the, I, it makes me think of the where the Bible talks about spiritual blindness. Unbelief is spiritual blindness. And then sin is darkness and Jesus shines the light. And the, the enlightenment that takes place as God's word um, permeates through that stony heart of unbelief and permeates through those scales that unbelief puts over our eyes and allows us to see him for who he is and to see the Bible for what it is and to recognize in both a source of strength and hope and confidence, a, a source of um, definitive and absolute knowledge that everlasting life is ours in heaven. So yeah. be in the word. Yeah, I love how Deutschlander put it. It's very simple. Read the Bible. Read exclamation it. mark. Um, and, and that's it. I mean, when you get to really read the Bible, um, and we live in a, in a world that is really illiterate when it comes to, to what the Bible is about. Um, we can't make assumptions of that everyone knows. Even longtime Christians sometimes just don't know the basics of the Bible. When you really get to know the Bible, when you start reading it, and it takes time, uh, I guarantee you're not going to read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and, and all of a sudden the light bulb is going to go on and you're going to get everything. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some growing. It's going to take some understanding of the Bible, some of these things that um, that you get through Bible study, through discussions with others, through worship and, and sermons and things that help to build this bigger picture. And the more and more you spend that time in the Word, the more and more you get to know who God is and why He gave us His Word. And I, I guarantee the more confident um, you're going to become in, in accepting this as, as truth. Yeah. It, it makes me think of that the parent of the young teenager who doesn't want to come to church and what should I do? Yeah. And the godly counsel and advice is bring them anyways. Right. Because they come and they're going to hear. Yeah. And God's word is going to work and strengthen that faith. And sure, we'd like them to leap like David on the way and rejoice in, in coming to the house of the Lord. But um, certainly keeping them away from God's word is not going to help. Uh, because it's God's word and God's word alone that uh, grows in us that faith and that desire and that knowledge and those fruits the, of, of godly living that come from reading his word. Right. Another reason to read God's word, because you'll find in it that this is most, most certainly, certainly true. true.